You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. World Series edition, Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. I am Josh Lewin. John Heyman joins as well every week. We bring you insight into the top storylines across Big League Baseball. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, allowing you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Be sure to subscribe to Big Time Baseball on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Everybody in West Palm Beach is very, very excited because, <laughs> John, that's a weird one here, is that the two teams in the World Series share a parking lot uh, in February and March. Now they're going to share the hearts of baseball fans here. To me, a fascinating matchup and, and so many layers of this onion to peel. What jumps out at you first when you look at Washington and Houston? Well, for me, it's the same thing that you just said. It's West Palm Beach because that's really my home uh, turf living in Miami, and I'm there all the time. And uh, these are two powerhouses. I think I had this last year as the World Series was incorrect. Uh, I think you are the smarter one. And uh, if I recall, I think you had this uh, this year. So good for you. I had the Dodgers and the Astros, so I went one for two. That's uh, better than usual for me. But uh, what's interesting to me is I think we got two great rotations. You know, all the talk about the bullpenning and the trend of the bullpens and let's have a great bullpen, all that stuff, I, I think that's out the window now. We have the best top of the rotation with the Astros uh, with two Cy Young winners and Cole, who may join them as a third Cy Young winner, and he was the best pitcher in baseball this year and is the best pitcher right now. And the Nats, uh, who really aren't at a deficit here because they have the deepest rotation, and we saw what Annabelle Sanchez uh, could do in the first couple rounds of the playoffs. He is an excellent pitcher still as the fourth starter, best fourth starter in baseball. They have Corbin as their third starter. Uh, uh, That's what jumps out at me, two terrific starting rotations. So it's kind of old school for me, and I like it. All right, and John, before we really get into a deep dive on the World Series, I wouldn't mind going back and looking at the teams that didn't make it because I think a Yankees-Cardinals World Series would have been fascinating too. So let's kind of go with the elimination teams here. For Yankee fans, and I know this is weird to want coal in your Christmas stocking, but 
Uh, Garrett Cole as a Yankee. Does, does that make sense like to you? I mean, they, they got a lot of things to sift through here. I mean, whether or not to extend Stanton, a, a whole lot of stuff. But isn't getting another starting pitcher, oh, I don't know, kind of like Garrett Cole, top of the list? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Garrett Cole is their guy. He's, they've tried from twice in the past. They drafted him in 2008 in the first round, basically offered him a blank check. Uh, he apparently wanted an education. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, didn't need the money. And his father wanted him to go to UCLA, and he agreed to go and uh, didn't get him then. And they tried to trade for him. Obviously, there's some regret now. They could have gotten him certainly for a combination of Andujar, who didn't end up playing for the Yankees because he was hurt this year, and uh, uh, Frazier, uh, the outfielder, uh, certainly would have gotten him Garrett Cole. Uh, we know Houston ended up making the deal, and that is really what uh, gave Houston this pennant. So uh, there's no question that Cole's going to be their number one target. Uh, they got to figure out shortstop, or maybe they don't because they could just move LeMahieu to second and uh, Torres could play short. Uh, so they're not in a desperate situation, but they do like D.D. Gregorius. They would like to keep him. Uh, I do think they'll make him an offer and see where that goes if they don't get him. I mean, I think Joel Sherman of the Post suggested Francisco Lindor, who probably is not going to sign a long-term deal with the Indians, uh, one of the best players in baseball. I don't think they have $300 million lying around or even $200 million. So uh, that's another possibility. But uh, at least think about shortstop. But the main thing is, you are correct, uh, they need to get a starting pitcher. And uh, Gary Cole is the obvious one, best pitcher in baseball uh, right now. And I don't think you get an argument from anybody. So uh, that's the guy the Yankees will target. And as for the Cardinals, you know, the, there's a meme on Twitter that made the rounds last month. I don't know if you saw this, John, of a football defensive back taunting a wide receiver pre-snap, uh, running his mouth, waving the guy to bring it on. Ball gets snapped, and the defensive back gets destroyed by the receiver as he starts his pattern, knocks the guy straight into the air. That was this series to me, the, the viral video of Mike Schilt talking about how the Cardinals were going to crush who's next, come on, bring it on, and instead the Nationals knocked their teeth out. I mean, the Cardinals hit 130 in this series. Yeah, you got to be careful of what you say. Obviously, we saw Brody Van Wagen before the season saying that they were the team to beat, and uh, the Mets didn't actually win. They did okay this year, but didn't even make the playoffs and uh, finished third in their division. Uh, yeah, talk will get you nowhere. That doesn't do anything uh, for you positively. It might hurt you. It may not, but uh, it's not worth uh, talking any trash. And uh, the Cardinals, you know, they have a nice, solid team. They, to me, they didn't have the offense. They had that 10 runs and that one inning against the Braves where the Braves fell apart, but uh, did not have the offense. I think the 3-4 situation was solid. Uh, Goldschmidt, I think, did about what you'd expect. Had a solid year. Uh, had some good moments in the postseason. Uh, Ozuna, also some good po moments in the postseason. A very good hitter. Now he's a free agent, and uh, I see on uh, the internet there are Colt Gould and uh, Mark Saxon suggesting they may not bring back Ozuna. So they may uh, lose their cleanup hitter. So the offense is really the issue for the Cardinals. They also have to figure out, is Carlos Martinez really a closer? Uh, he, he looked a little uncomfortable in that spot to me. He should have the stuff to be a starter. They're certainly paying him like a starter. They need to figure that out, and hopefully Alex Reyes can get healthy. If he does, uh, they've got another good starter on their hands, and we know what Flaherty can do. So they look like they could potentially be great uh, in terms of the rotation, uh, but the offense is a work in progress, I do believe. Yeah, and, and as for the, the teams that actually made it, although wouldn't it be fun if, like, in the old days with college basketball, you could actually play a consolation round? 
they, you know, you'd have the Yankees card <laughs> anyway. But yeah. uh, but the national the, I think national, the Yankees are in the mood for that. <laughs> no, I know. And well, you know, be a, a revenue producer. I'm I'm an ideas guy. But <laughs> but let's remember, John, that the Nats as they move on, they were down to their last outs in the wild card game, trailing by multiple runs. If Josh Hader is on his game that night, if Trent Grisham doesn't overrun that ball and right. The Nationals would have been done October 1st. Instead, here it is heading to the last week of October. Not only are they still alive, they are swaggering into their first ever World Series. Absolutely. They beat the best team in their league easily, in my mind, in the Dodgers, and very impressively. Uh, And then to have the series they had against the Cardinals, they are rolling. I know people are going to look at them as the underdog. No one's going to take my advice on predictions anyway, but uh, they have uh, by far a deeper rotation right now. Uh, They have a better three-starter, Corbin and and, uh, Granke. You'd think Granke on paper might be better, but right now I think Corbin is the better pitcher. And uh, they have a four-starter, whereas Houston is uh, one of the many teams that has to do the uh, bullpen game at four starters. So, I mean, they're on a roll. They've got a shot. They've got a great 3-4 situation. They've got a nice veteran team. Mike Rizzo, who we had on that podcast a few weeks ago, has done a terrific job building through rotation and veteran players. Uh, He was with the Arizona Diamonds backs in 2001 as a scouting director when they won the World Series with Schilling and Johnson and a very veteran presence with Grace and other veterans. This team, same. It's the oldest team in baseball by by average age. You know, Kendrick has done a fantastic job. Zimmerman has come on and uh, done well. Uh, obviously, we know they have a prodigy in Soto. Uh, Rendon is in his prime, but uh, they have a veteran presence and they have a rotation and uh, they are rolling, as you said. And, you know, I know Baby Shark is a really strange choice for a war cry out of a fan base, but (laughs) it it dawned on me it's no more strange than Gloria was for the St. Louis Blues, and they just won a Stanley Cup four months ago. I mean, that was a team that was down and out halfway through the season, too, and they brought in some new players, rallied around each other, had themselves a parade. I think it'll be fun to see if the Nats, very weirdly, can be the baseball version of the Blues. Yeah, they're having a lot of fun. Gerardo Parra, uh, Parra, who's got the baby shark thing going. I don't know, my uh, child is not that young that we played the baby shark song, but we're starting to learn it. And to, to me, I'm not a music critic. It doesn't seem like a great song, but it's brought the team together. And so is their dance in the dugout. And I think Davey Martinez is very loose. I mean, he may not be a strategic Tony La Russa, who we also had on the podcast, but in terms of keeping the clubhouse together and getting the players to play to their potential, I think that's the main thing for a major league manager. I, I think he is fantastic. He's done a terrific job. And uh, we were talking about him uh, on the hot seat, uh, in the early podcast, as if it was a fait accompli that he was going to be gone. Now he's got a year to go. I, he's not going to come back as a lame duck. They're going to give him an extension. So he's done a terrific job. They have great chemistry going Parra and the other veterans are a big part of that. We're going to talk in a little bit with representatives of the uh, the media sides for Houston and Washington. We've got Brian McTaggart and Pete Medhurst coming on. But uh, before we get to that and, and some other uh, guests that we've got on the podcast here, one of the things, John, that jumps out at me with this World Series, I don't know if it, it struck you the same way, but Houston is so big, maybe the biggest, on analytics. And Washington is kind of at the other end of that spectrum. It's not that the Nats poo-poo it, but I saw one team executive of theirs said, it's good information. You've got to be smart to figure out math to get to the numbers. But once it's been done, 
anybody can understand it. It was kind of like, yeah, we get analytics. We just don't want to be a slave to analytics. So is it almost like a weird referendum on old school Mike Rizzo <laughs> against the NASA scientists over there in Houston? Yeah, I mean, there are two ways to get it done. And I think most people are saying now they, they all do a combination of it. But Houston certainly leans toward the analytics and Washington leans toward the scouting. I think the scouts around baseball, those of whom are still employed, are probably rooting for Washington. And I don't know if the computers can root, but if they could, they would probably be rooting for Houston. Uh, obviously, Houston's done a great job. You can't begrudge him no matter what you think about the fact that they don't have many scouts. Uh it's worked for them, however they've done it. Uh, this is the second time in three years they're in the World Series. Uh, certainly the tanking strategy uh, paid off for them. I know we have teams doing it now. I'm not sure it's going to be as successful for all of them. Uh, Houston was kind of alone in that when they did it, so they were on the forerunner. I guess they were a trendsetter, and uh, at that time uh, – uh, it was a big disparity uh, in terms of the allocation of the dollars in the draft, and it really benefited them, and they've got some big superstars. But uh, not to uh, de denigrate anything they've done, they've done a terrific job, and you're absolutely right. One team is more looked upon as the analytics team. The other team has maybe not as much analytics. But they, the Nats, if you look at their front office, they got a bunch of – uh, Ivy Leaguers and Eggheads as well. They just don't tout it at quite as much. And, you know, they probably don't have as many as Houston does. All right, love, one last one for you, John, before we bring on the, the guests here. The Nats have had their six-day layoff, and that is something that did not affect the 96 Yankees negatively, nor the 95 Braves or the 08 Phillies, I guess. But the last 25 years, teams with a six-day layoff have actually won three World Series and lost only two. Uh, little caveat, the 07 Rockies had an eight-day layoff. They got swept, of course, by the Red Sox. But do you think there's anything to that? I mean, the, the Nats are set to the point of possible rust. The Astros have a couple days off, actually three heading in, set their rotation. So do we look at that as a factor at all? It could be. I, you know, it's, it's great to sweep and be impressive in the LCS, but sometimes it has proven to be a negative. I mean, uh, 2015 Mets uh, swept the Cubs and uh, then were not great in the World Series, losing in five games to the Royals. Uh, the series with uh, Detroit, Detroit had a, a big layoff, I think, was that against St. Louis 2006? They, had a, uh, they were just a dominant team with great, great pitchers and a uh, great team, and uh, they came out, and they were not good. And uh, they've done that a couple times. I think 2012, they had a bit of a layoff as well, uh, and it's hurt them. So I, I do think that's potentially a factor. But as we've said, Washington seems to have a good thing going. Uh, they're really rolling. The city's excited. First time since 1933 World Series in our nation's capital, and I, I think they'll be okay. But it is a little bit of a concern. I'm thinking it's in my back of my mind. I'm thinking about it, but – I'm hopeful that uh, it doesn't affect them because I want to see a great World Series. Sandy Alderson, a legend in baseball, was the general manager of the A's for 18 years, general manager of the Padres, uh, the Mets, uh, and a, a top executive with Major League Baseball, back now with the A's. So, uh, Sandy, uh, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate that. And I should, before anything say anything else i should ask you how you're doing obviously we we knew about your health situation when you left the mets and uh, also what are you doing now with the a's well first of all my health is uh is great i um um as you know left the mets uh about a year and a half ago and uh had to deal with um 
a recurrence of uh, cancer, but uh, at the moment I'm cancer free and have been for about a year plus. So uh, great. Um, everything is great. Um, well, I'm a senior advisor for the A's and uh, <laughs> um, as that implies, uh, I get to speak when I want to and hold my tongue when I'm uh, <clears throat> um, using my better judgment. But um you know, Billy and David Force have been great. I've uh, really enjoyed what I've what I've been doing there. I've I've traveled with a big league club. I've uh, been with uh, the front office, uh, spring training. Um, um, had a chance really to observe the entire organization. Been to uh, uh, minor league affiliates and um, so actually doing some things that I haven't been able to do for a long time, including uh, doing a little bit of uh, amateur amateur scouting. So. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed it, but it's been a, been a broad uh, spectrum of, of different uh, um, uh, things, and uh, they've been great to me. Well, it's great to hear that you're, you're doing well in terms of your health. That's that's the most important thing for any of us, so it's, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, I wanted to go back to your first tenure with the A's. Of course, in the 80s with the Bash Brothers and all that, you had a, built a powerhouse uh, that uh, – got to the World Series a couple of times, won a World Series in uh, 1990. And um, I, at some point you had one of the highest payrolls in baseball. And then there was something happened with your ownership and that you were told to cut. And that's really when you injured. Now, there was sabermetrics before that, but you really introduced sabermetrics to uh, running a baseball team at that point. So uh, and obviously you hired Billy Bean, who uh, – went on to use sabermetrics effectively as well. And of course, that book Moneyball is one of the greatest uh, baseball books ever written. And uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about all of that. I, I think in the movie Moneyball, uh, I thought that uh, uh, Tejada uh, and the pitcher, the great pitchers that were on that team, uh, Mulder and Zito and Hudson, uh, got a little bit of short shrift. It was a great movie, very entertaining. But in the book, uh, it was all about Billy Bean and not about you. Now you work for Billy Bean, so obviously, and you've had a great relationship with him forever. I don't. Did you did you feel that at all that uh, uh, maybe you could have gotten a little more credit for bringing sabermetrics to uh, Major League Baseball? And how do you feel that? Uh, things are now in terms of sabermetrics in baseball. It seems like it is still the buzzword in baseball. Uh, many teams, uh, all teams use it, uh, and many have used it successfully. Well, first of all, we, we started using the the concepts underlying analytics uh, in the early 80s. So uh, it wasn't just to, to deal with uh, a lower payroll. It was actually uh, – you know, to get an edge uh, performance-wise. The difference between the early 80s and today, of course, is that there's this tremendous explosion of data available. And so some of the things that um, were more concept rather than proven uh, uh, theories, um, uh, we were using in the early 80s. But uh, it is true that we had one of the highest payrolls in baseball in 1991, in large part because we'd had so much success and uh, the owner at that time, Walter Haas, didn't want to break up the team. So uh, now keep in mind, the highest payroll in baseball at that time was a little over $40 million, which, uh, you know, what is about <laughs> $200 million short of what uh, the high payrolls are these days. But um, in any event, um, you know, 
Billy was introduced to those concepts uh, when he was when he became the assistant general manager, and then built on them over the course of his career. And uh, that's what's represented in in Moneyball. Um, you know, today analytics are uh, <laughs> um, prevalent throughout the industry, and uh, you know the uh, um, one of the teams, Houston, uh, I think probably uh, in some ways. Um, represents the uh, not the culmination but the uh the more advanced uh application of analytics uh in the game today um but uh, i think what's happening now i mean all clubs have tried to blend the analytics with the um you know more traditional uh scouting you know measure versus observe um I don't know how many teams have done it successfully, but I do believe that at some point there will be a swing back toward um, uh, not not complete swing back, but uh, a balance between the analytics that we see today, kind of overriding everything else, versus uh, um, you know a scouting approach. Um, I want to ask you now um, where sabermetrics has carried baseball, or if you think this is sabermetrics is at the root of the the issue that we now see with so many teams going for power, and uh, you know, some the three two outcomes becoming so much more uh, prevalent in a part of the game with the home run, the walk, the strikeout, and fewer triples and stolen bases, and uh, it's taking a little bit of the strategy out of the game in a way. Um, do you think this is a problem in baseball uh, right now and going forward? And again, you were a, a, a big, big executive with MLB at one time, so uh, you're certainly very qualified to uh, answer any of this. But uh, is this an issue for baseball, or do you think it's uh, 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 just a trend for now and it's going to switch back to uh, the game that we saw when we were kids? Well, I, I don't, I don't see the game switching back because I think that. Uh, what you're seeing on the field is the, what's the right word? Uh, ineluctable. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's the, uh, you know, consequence of the analysis because what the analysis will tell you is that this is the, this is the right approach to winning the game. Um, so, you know, from a standpoint of, of, uh, um, you know, strategic um, decision-making, the analytics drive you in this direction. Um, and, you know, I have to say that when, uh, when I first started way back when, um, you know, there were two approaches to the game personified by two managers. One was Earl Weaver, who was kind of a three-run homer guy, if you remember. And then there was a guy named Gene Mock, who uh, was a small ball guy who uh, loved to, you know, bunt and, uh, steel bases and that sort of thing. Gene Mock never won anything. Uh, Earl Weaver is in the Hall of Fame. So uh, even in those days, uh, there was this intuitive um, uh, move in that direction. Um, today, the the analysis tells you that uh, getting on base and driving the ball is uh, the way to win games. Guys don't go the other way to break the shift because that is not the most effective way of winning a game. And so what's happened is players, instead of going the other way to beat the shift, have started going over the shift. Um, 
and that's what clubs want because they know that gives them the, the, the best chance of success. So if you're just looking in terms of, you know, the analysis, that's what drives the game in the direction it's, it's taken. Now I know baseball to some extent has been making apologies for, for the way the game, the direction <laughs> the game is taken. I don't know why, because fans love the, love the home run. Um, I mean, yes, they love triples. They love stolen bases, but what they really like are home runs. And, um, you know, these postseason games, I think, again, I, I, I haven't tracked all of the uh, scoring, but just as in the regular season, more and more of the runs are scored as a result of home runs. That's happening in the postseason as well. Um, just look at the you know last two or three games between Houston and, and New York. Um, and I think what fans like is that you know, sudden thunder, the boom, two-run homer, and the game's tied. Boom, a two-run homer, and the game's over. Um, you know, there's as much excitement in that as there is in you know getting you know, you know stringing two or three singles together. And the and the fact is that because of way the way hitters are approaching uh, their at bats today, uh, which is thinking in terms of hitting the ball as hard as possible and and at a certain angle, home runs happen. You know, it's 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 hard to get six or seven hits in a row and one of them not be a home run. Uh, just because of the approach that that uh, hitters have taken, and I think that you know, in addition to the controversy over the ball, I think something else that's happened is that hitters now have adjusted to um, what pitchers were doing over the previous three or four years. I mean, you'll recall, John, uh, over the last three or four years, how dominant relief pitching became uh, to the point where teams just were not overcoming leads late in the game. You know, lead changes late in the game, putting aside this year and maybe parts of last year, just uh, I wouldn't say were rare, but uh, statistically just didn't happen that often. Now, uh, hitters have adjusted. These guys that uh, are throwing 97, 90, 98 miles an hour, thats it's, they're not average, but you see them fairly routinely. And I think hitters have adjusted. So uh, the game is still evolving, but. Uh, you know, there's some things that I don't, I don't like. I don't like the shift, for example. I don't, I think the shift is, uh, um, at one point it was a competitive advantage for some of the teams that adopted it early and then refined it. But right now that competitive advantage, I think is largely gone. So we're left with a little bit different game. And the question is, you know, do you continue that? Um, but I think if we're going to change the game, uh, you're not going to change the analysis. The analysis is pretty straightforward. I think you have to incentivize clubs and players to do things differently. So, for example, the reason there aren't that many stolen bases these days is because um, it doesn't make sense to try and steal a base if you've got a guy at the plate who's hit, who's who's got 40 home runs. Uh, the the risk reward isn't there. So. In the case of a stolen base, if you really want to create more stolen bases, you have to incentivize clubs to uh, steal bases. And the way that I see doing that is to is to raise the level of success to the point where now it makes sense to do it. So let's say the success rate now is 70 percent. Well, maybe you got to make it 85 percent for clubs to actually steal bases. Uh, and how would you do that? Well, you force a pitcher to step off the rubber. So that gives a, uh, a runner another split second to get to second base. There are lots of things you could do. 
and honestly, I do think we should try to uh, increase uh, those kinds of things that uh, that fans enjoy. And among them are stolen bases and sort of address that. And then triples. You know, you could, for example, and this isn't going to happen overnight, you could reconfigure um, – uh, you could reconfigure ballparks. This is an ide- sort of an idealistic approach so that they were more like, let's say, uh, you know, the Giants ballpark in San Francisco where you got a really deep center field and then, uh, it, you know, it becomes more, um, uh, becomes more uh, normal, uh, you know, at the, uh, at the corners. I mean, there are things you can do. So from my standpoint, I like the idea of thinking about how to, you know, reconfigure the game some, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. People love home runs, and uh, um, um, I think the I think the game is is uh, as popular and will continue to be popular. Now, people my age don't like home runs that much; they want to go back to what you know the way the game <laughs> was played in nineteen forty. But um, but generally speaking, um, there's a part of the uh, baseball fandom that uh, really enjoys the long ball. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Um, changing the subject, uh, going back to your Mets tenure, you, you got the Mets to the 2015 World Series. You were the executive of the year. And then uh, by the time you left in 2018 at your press conference, you were very tough on yourself. You, you brought in Syndergaard, Conforto. A number of the work moves had worked out, but the, the last string of free agents uh, – had had not. Um, how do you look back on that tenure? And uh, to clear things up a little bit, you know, I, uh, when you were uh, hired, uh, a lot of people suggested that it was recommended strongly by the ownership that they hire you because you brought the gravitas the team needed following the Madoff episode, or that you were appointed by the uh, MLB. Uh, how do you recall that? And how do you recall your whole tenure there with the Mets? Well, first of all, uh, I. I if there was any uh, discussion between the commissioner <laughs> and the owner over over uh, over my uh, selection as general manager, I, I I never heard of that. I wasn't privy to it. Um, I know that those were rumors, but you know I I, I can't really address that. And uh, you know, secondly, um, you know, we did get to the World Series. We got to the postseason the following year. Um, um, some of the free agent signings worked out for a time, didn't work out. I mean, there wasn't, you know, with the exception of perhaps David Wright's situation, which was unfortunate and not related to performance, but to career, career ending injury. Um, um, you know, there was at least some, some measure of, uh, of success during, the even, the. um, you know, Cespedes. Cespedes was great for us the first half a year. We got him. He was very good for us the following year. Um, then he got hurt. And unfortunately, that's typically what happens with uh, long-term contracts. And uh, I've been around long enough to know that and probably uh, long enough to know better. Uh, but, you know, the, the, we had some success, and uh, I was happy about that. Um, overall, I really enjoyed my, my time in New York. I really enjoyed the city. I enjoyed uh, the team, the, the people who work there and uh, with whom I worked, um, you know, ownership, uh, by and large was fine. Uh, there were some issues that came up as, as a result of, 
um, their involvement with uh, Madoff, but, uh, uh, you know, I was sort of aware of that when I went in and um, um, took that as perhaps one of the additional and unique challenges of uh, uh, with the Mets. But, uh, you know, by and large, I really enjoyed myself and appreciated the opportunity and enjoyed it. You are kind of a New Yorker now, even though you're a California, really. Uh, and uh, you've, you've tackled many serious issues throughout your career and this conversation. I'll give you one non-serious question here before we let you go is what's your World Series prediction? I think it's going to be a great series, first of all. But I think, you know, by and large, the, the two teams are uh, built the same way. I mean, the, the both have really strong starting pitching, which is... Um, in, in a way, a throwback to an earlier age. Uh, the bullpens aren't quite as dominant. Um, um, you know, they both hit the ball out of the park. They got very deep lineups. Uh, you know, it may be that the the home field advantage that, that Houston has is going to make the mm-hmm. difference. I've always felt, uh, John, that in the, in these series, the team that wins the first game has a huge advantage. Um, you know, we were in the World Series four times. Uh, three with Oakland, one with the Mets. Um, every series we lost the first game, we lost the series. Mm. And I think it really sets its own. So I think, you know, what happens tonight is going to be really important. Very good. Well, we really enjoyed our time with you, Sandy. Thank you so much for taking this time and uh, good luck to you. We're so happy to hear that you are healthy and cancer free. And that is the main thing. And uh, great to t- talking to you, Sandy. And uh, upcoming, we have interviews with, uh, Uh, media from both teams involved in this. Uh, So thanks again, Sandy, and I appreciate it very much. Hey, John, take care. Enjoy it. All right, thanks, Sandy. Hey, everybody, Cody Decker here from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about 4hims.com. 4hims.com is your one stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And you know what? I'm 32, and I've been taking hymns for three weeks now. Baseball did everything it could to take my hairline away from me, whether it was just wearing a helmet, wearing a hat, or my managers just not playing me. My hair was going away. And I'm 32 years old, and I don't want to be part of this statistic anymore. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best versions of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help you regrow your hair. 4Hims connects you to real doctors online. Get the hair loss treatment everybody's talking about, featured in GQ, Men's Health, Playboy, just to name a few, not to mention, I talk about it every day on our Radio.com original Swings and Misses. Go to 4Hims.com swings. That's 4Hims, F-O-R-M. H-I-M-S dot com slash swings. Happy to bring on longtime Astros beat writer Brian McTaggart, who represents the team for MLB.com. And I know it's been a couple days since, but Houston is still buzzing about the Altuve walk-off. When you see J.J. Watt walk in wearing an Altuve jersey, or jersey, I guess it was, to the to the Texans game on Sunday, you know that things are, are really on liftoff mode right now. And uh, Brian McTaggart, thank you for joining us, first of all. But... Uh, Altuve is amazing. I mean, everybody five, six or under, like me, adopts the guy immediately as his kind of his folk hero. But I mean, the guy just has a knack, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I mean, he's uh, what that was his thirteenth playoff homer, I think, which is really remarkable. And yeah, he's just uh, you know, I tweeted something shortly after that game. It just struck me when 
you know, he hit the home run and the place was going crazy and about five or six minutes had passed and, you know, everyone's still in the stands and, and there were little pockets of Altuve chants breaking out all over the stadium. And it, it just struck me how popular this guy is in Houston. Um, he's going to go down as one of the, the greatest team sports athletes in, in this town's history. And uh, it's because he's clutch and he does, he's, he's so humble. And he was here when they, they lost a hundred games three years in a row. And he would always say anytime we talked to him and he, you know, they played in front of 8,000 fans at Minute Maid. He's like, we're going to win someday. I want to be a part of it. And, uh, and not only is a part of it, he's, he's the driving force and the heart and soul of the team. So um, it'd be hard to find anyone more popular in Houston right now than Jose Altuve. Hey, Brian, it's uh, John Heyman here. And, and first I'd like to say on Josh's behalf, I, I don't believe you're under five, six. I think you're five, six and a half, at least. That's what Maybe it says more. on my driver's license. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And I hope, I hope JJ Watt wasn't wearing the actual Altuve jersey. He's sort of a big fellow. And I actually, I'm sure you were there too, Brian, uh, when JJ Watt threw out the first ball at an opening day and it was the greatest first ball I've ever seen. I think they had it at 87 miles per hour. It was in, you remember that? Did you, you remember that at all uh gosh I, I remember jj watt throwing out a first ball i don't remember i'm sure if he did it he probably nailed it like he does everything yeah it, it was incredible it was it was like better than you know when we see the position players come in and throw it was it was incredible so uh, i mean you've been with this team for a while you certainly 17 was a special year uh, they're again favored what, what do you think the differences are between the 17 team and this team. I mean, on paper, it looks better to me, but how, how do you feel that uh, it plays out? Yeah, it is better on paper. Um, you know, the lineup, they have, you know, they have more depth in the lineup than they had in 17. Now they're going to have to get, you know, they're going to have to get Alvarez squared away, get him hitting because, you know, he was a zero in the, the ALCS. Um, their starting rotation is better this year. You know, it was pretty good in, in 17. You had Keiko and McCullers and Morton, but, you know, this group they have now is, and Verlander, of course, they had gotten him by that time, but this group they have now is better. Um, I, I think these, the experience factors, you know, going to help a lot. Alex, Alex Bregman is, is uh, you know, was that was his first full season. And, you know, Altuve now has, you know, dozens of playoff games under his belt. So the experience is, is going to be big, I think. But yeah, they're better. I mean, they uh, just top to bottom. I think uh, they're, they're just better than they are in seventeen. And you know, offensively, they they put up a slugging percentage that was the the best we've ever seen in the big leagues. And they haven't done it in the playoffs yet. I mean, they they've hit some really important home runs at uh, opportune times, and that's kind of why they've been winning these games. So I still feel there's another gear offensively we're going to see out of these guys. Um, you know, with runners in scoring position and getting some big hits. I mean, if you look at the offensive head highlights from the ALCS, every one of them is a home run pretty much. When, you know, when do you remember, you know, someone hitting a ball and, and somebody scoring on a ball in the gap? They haven't done that a lot. It's, it's been home runs. So, um, you know, I, I still think there's another gear for this offense as we head into the World Series. Question for you about Garrett Cole, Brian. I mean, both John and I have, and you can probably hear it in our, our accents, we have kind of a New York bent to us. <laughs> and I'm just thinking if Garrett Cole was playing for a New York team right now, the angst about, yeah, we got him now, but, you know, I mean, we, we could be seeing the last week and a half of this guy. And is there that feeling, too, in Houston, or do Astro fans not even go there? Are they just so happy to have Garrett Cole right now? They're not worried about what happens in free agency. Yeah, I really haven't heard that at all. I don't think anybody that's an Astros fan is really worried about that. You know, if they win the World Series – 
you know, sure, they would love Cole to come back, but I, you know, I think it would be worth it. His tenure here would be a, a success that they were able to to get him and get one World Series while he was here. So, uh, yeah, he's probably got two starts left in a Astros uniform if he chooses to not come back or the Astros can't sign him. I, I mean, I think it's going to be really hard for the Astros to sign him just with the payroll restraints that they have next year. You know, Altuve is getting a big contract that kicks in next year. Uh, Bregman's going to make a lot of money next year. Of course, Verlander, um, you know, a guy like George Springer could get $20 million in arbitration. So you just check off the boxes of the guys that are coming back, and all of a sudden you're at $150, $160 million. You know, how hard is it going to be to fit Garrett Cole into the into it next year? But like I said, I mean, if they can win a World Series, I, you know, I think everybody uh, would be OK. And, would, you know, that would make it a lot easier to swallow if he went elsewhere. But, you know, I've never seen a pitcher dominate for as long as he's dominated, um, you know, since the month of May. I mean, for five months now, he's unbeaten. I mean, he's been the best pitcher on the planet. And it's uh, I think they've won his last 16 starts in a row. So. Um, what he's doing is really unprecedented and whether he does it in another uniform next year or not remains to be seen, but, you know, you know, kind of like Charlie Morton, when, you know, he, uh, he ended up signing with the Rays and free agency and any, anytime he comes back now to Minute Maid Park, he's a folk hero. And, you know, I think Garrett Cole has a chance to be, do the same thing. Well, you really don't sound like you have angst. You, you're not a New Yorker. You guys are uh, calm about this. Uh, I think Josh is right. We'd have angst if uh, Garrett Cole was on the uh, cusp of yeah. free agency. But, of course, you've got the uh, World Series to think about now. And let's let's talk about the rest of that rotation. Um, and two other Cy Young winners I think Cole may get this year. Uh, of course, Verlander could, too. Uh, Verlander, he's never going to pitch on short rest again. I know he said uh, it didn't bother him. That wasn't the reason that he didn't pitch well. But uh, what, what do you think? No, I, I'm going to say no more short rest for him. Uh, Granky, what, what do people in Houston think? They gave up a lot for him. I mean, they're paying two-thirds of that deal. They gave up four prospects. Uh, he hung in there and was uh, decent in the LCS. And then what do they do? You're still uh, going with a bullpen game, are, are you figuring? Or, I mean – Maybe they do do Verlander at short rest. Maybe they believe him. I think he's just a tough guy, and uh, the short rest is what uh, made him pitch not like he normally pitches. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would find it, you know, it, it would have to be a special scenario, I think, for them to bring him back on, on short rest. Um, you know, I guess if they're down two to, you know, he's pitching game two, so yeah, what, he would pitch game six. Um, so it just depends where they're at in the series, I think. But, yeah, I think they're going to go with a bullpen game for game four. They really have no other choice. I mean, they they only have three starting pitchers. You know, Wade Miley was their fourth starter all year and was really pitching well. In fact, going into the month of September, he was third in the league in ERA behind Cole and behind Verlander. And then the wheels just kind of came off his season, and they just – he couldn't get anybody out. He couldn't get out of the first inning. So, um you know, they've traded away a couple of other pitching prospects and all of a sudden there's, you know, McCullers is hurt. So here they are only with three starting pitchers. So, yeah, they're going to have to piece one of these games in the bullpen, one of these games in the World Series together with their bullpen. Um, as far as Granky goes, um, you know, you talk to Astros fans and I, I think when they got him, they were expecting Cole and Verlander. They were expecting a guy that was going to come and throw 96, 97, be up in the strike zone and dominate. Well, he's not that guy. I mean, he's. You know, he, he used to be, but he's not anymore. He's, he mixes all kinds of pitches, works down in the zone, uh, you know, doesn't throw as hard as those guys. And his results as a starter were okay. They, I mean, he pitched pretty well, 
But, uh, you know, his first start in the playoffs was not good in the ALDS. Now, he, he was working on 11 days of rest. But, but, yeah, I think they need a little bit more out of him in game three. They're going to need a little bit of length, get a little bit deeper into the game, especially if they're going to have a bullpen game in game four. Um, he will be swinging the bat in game three. So he'll be swinging the he'll be in the lineup <laughs> in, in Washington. So that's uh, that's one plus that they'll have. But, you know, I think they're going to need a, a big World Series out of, of Granke and sort of, you know, live up to uh, to being a big game pitcher because, you know, they, they gave away three of their top prospects to get him. Brian McTaggart, great stuff. Thank you, buddy. And there should be a fascinating all West Palm Beach spring training World Series. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for your time. Right. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Brian McTaggart. Let's get the other side of this World Series coin. We're going to talk to Pete Medhurst, to rep in the Nationals, in just a sec. All right, we continue with our run of guests here. We want to talk to everybody we can in a short amount of time. On, on the opposing side of Brian McTaggart's uh, Astros, we bring in one of the play-by-play broadcasters and radio personalities from 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Pete Medhurst is here. And Pete Medhurst is probably still a little incredulous that this is happening because everybody seems to have memorized 19 and 31, Pete. That was the, the rock bottom point, 50 games in. Everybody wanted Davey Martinez out of town and gone. Uh, this is something that it's turned into this. Yeah, Josh. I mean, look, I mean, any baseball team that gets off to a 19 and 31 start, you know, you start looking internally. Hey, is there a quick fix? And when Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez looked internally, uh, there clearly wasn't a really good answer uh, to that question outside of getting some pieces back healthy a like Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Ryan Zimmerman, who are all out there at the same time. And then obviously having to fix the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal was still throwing a hundred miles an hour, but he wasn't throwing it over the plate. Uh, Kyle Bearclaw uh, just had not come back to the reliever that he was early last year for the Marlins, where he was sensational in a number of different roles for them. But as that season went along and he got used a lot by Don Mattingly in that second half of the season, things kind of soured for him and he never came back to the form that the Nats were hoping for. But his bodies came back from injury and pieces in the bullpen started to at least settle a little bit. Uh, This team finally started to turn things around and played to the level of baseball that Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez thought that they would eventually play to this season. So let me ask you this, just in terms of a pulse of the city, because you guys kind of went through this, obviously, with the Capitals not too long ago, that it's been forever, it's never going to happen, oh my God, it's happening. Is there a similarity to to that vibe, or is is it even a little different than that? Josh, I think it's exactly the same, and here's why. That Capitals team, everybody expected and thought maybe, okay, it had passed that particular group by. And they thought about, was it time to move uh, the complementary pieces around Alexander Ovechkin, like a Nicholas Backstrom? Uh, Was it time to see if you could get something for them and maybe get a little bit younger around Ovi to make one more run uh, before Ovi's time ran out here in Washington? This team, by losing Harper the way they did, everybody expects the run production to go down. And everybody's like, okay, well, the Braves – played great last year we're going to be at minimum second fiddle to them the Phillies have Harper now so we might be third fiddle to them but what Mike Rizzo did kind of shrewdly you know he said hey if we're not going to score as many runs we got to go out and find a way to prevent them and they they invested in Patrick Corbin so I think people saw a little bit 
of hope in that investment. Uh, but you're right. There, there's no, there is no doubt that uh, there was not a lot of great expectation, just as there wasn't uh, for the Capitals the year they went on and won the Stanley Cup either. So, Pete, who's the, the golden boy? Who's the fan favorite for the Nets right now? I mean, with, with Harper gone and, in fact, people you know, almost trolling him at this point, is Rendon everybody's favorite? Is it, is it somebody else? Is it, is it Scherzer? I mean, who's the, the one guy that people will say, that's my man? I, I still think it's Scherzer. Um, he's, the kind of, he's just such a competitor that people relate to. Uh, he's been the most consistent, maybe, uh, player over the past few years for them, uh, takes the ball every big game. Um, and, and I think that's the guy that still, if you asked every Nationals fan who their guy was, he might edge out Juan Soto or Anthony Rendon just barely. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of people with this franchise that still uh, you know, hold Ryan Zimmerman very dear and are glad to see him having the postseason uh, that he is. But if you had to pin people down, I still think Max Scherzer uh, would get the, the, the number one nod uh, for the, the, the guy that, at least right now, electrifies uh, Washington's fan base. You know, we look at the fan base and just it plays so well on TV, Pete. And part of it, I know that 96 years is a long time to wait for a city to, to, to have a pennant come by. But, I mean... The, the, the whole baby shark thing, uh, you know, I mean, just everybody uh, showing up, wearing the colors, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating because, you know, it wasn't too long ago, and you know this better than I do, you rolled into a Nationals game, and it was just kind of this, this almost a, a dreariness that it set in, like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but we'll go do something else because we know they're not really going to do anything, and now everybody's singing baby shark. You know, it's amazing, Josh, and you know this obviously from being around different ballparks, it's amazing what things will eventually gravitate a fan base together. And, you know, Gerardo Parra changes his walk-up music to the Baby Shark music. He starts to get valuable pinch hits with the Baby Shark music. People start getting into it. And, you know, the organist starts to get into it. And all of a sudden it becomes a thing uh, here in D.C. And, and look, I mean, there's no question D.C. has a reputation, Josh, of being a front-running fan base no matter what the sport. If the team in town is winning, people will gravitate. Look at how bad the Redskins are right now. There is nobody showing up at FedEx Field uh, on Sundays to watch their games. When a team is good, when the Wizards were good with, uh, you know, John Wall and that group a couple of years ago, the place was packed. You couldn't get a ticket. Same thing with the Capitals right now, uh, 18,000 strong every home game and the nationals in the playoffs, the folks have showed up and they've showed out. They've, they've been into the games. The place is basically red throughout the ballpark. And, you know, my daughter's 11 years old, loves Sean Doolittle to death. So I took her to one of the playoff games and we sat in the stands. That's somewhere I don't usually sit anymore, Josh, but to sit out there in the stands with the fans and you could feel that electricity and feel the fans into the game. It was great to see that because there haven't been these kind of moments. Washington had never gotten past the division series. So to be at a National League Championship Series game and to see this town so into it, I'm happy for the players too because the players have you know, basically openly begged for this kind of support and the fans have showed up in the postseason. They've invested their money and they've invested their time with this team here in the playoffs. And 
now they're hoping for four more victories here uh, in the next week and a half. Oh, we can hear the energy and enthusiasm just dripping off your vocal cords, Pete. Thank you so much for your time, and it should be a hell of a series. Thanks so much. Josh, appreciate you having me. Thanks. Anytime. All right. Very, very cool of Pete Medhurst and Brian McTaggart. We go uh, one of each, one Astro, one National. John Heyman with his insider segment. Let's find out about managers and whatnot next. All right, our insider segment, yes, with John Heyman and managerial upheaval. We knew it going into the offseason. There would be a lot of it. Uh, you know, pitching coaches change all the time now, too. I, I mean, not to mention hitting coaches. But let's just stay on managers for now, John, because it looks like there are some teams that are getting reasonably close. I'm out here in San Diego taping this, and all the buzz is about Ron Washington with a side of Jace Tingler. And everybody wants to know who the hell is Jace Tingler. But, uh, <laughs> but Ron Washington obviously has some skins on the wall with the, the Texas Rangers, went to a couple World Series. Uh, A.J. Preller was there at the time, the current GM of San Diego. So all that seems to make sense. What do you think is going to happen in San Diego? Yeah, one of those two uh, will be the manager. And I wouldn't rule out Tingler yet. We'll see. Uh, Ron Washington certainly uh, got Rangers to the World Series twice. A.J. Preller was an executive with that team. Jace Tingler has been there with Texas as well. I think he likes him very much. Uh, all things being equal, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went with Tingler. Now, there's ownership listening to the fans and all sorts of things that could change things. But uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Preller's choice was Tingler. But as you said, Wash, uh, Wash has a good chance there as well. All right. So take me through some of the other ones. There's uh, six sure. or seven other openings. Let's just <laughs> whatever's on your mind, go. I'll go quick. Yeah, Philly, uh, we're down to three. That's Joe Girardi, Buck Showalter, and Dusty Baker. Uh, there are some rumblings that the front office kind of like Showalter. Uh, they had him in Baltimore, Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak and the others did, and they like him. And uh, there's some uh, thought that the ownership would lean toward one of the other two, Baker or Girardi, especially Girardi. There's some buzz now uh, with Robbie Thompson, third base coach. He was, he was the uh, bench coach for uh, uh, Girardi in New York. And, uh, he, excuse me, he's the bench coach in Philly as well. So uh, I think Girardi has got a chance there as the Showalter uh, Baker, uh, probably an outside chance. Uh, those are the first two that seem like, like, like they could go quick, more quickly, San Diego and Philly, as they're down to two or three people. Uh, the Mets, uh, we know, have uh, or believe, uh, they're not saying anything, but the belief is that they're down to Girardi, Beltron, uh, Eduardo Perez and Tim Bogar, uh, Girardi, the only one with permanent, uh, uh, and we say use the word permanent loosely, not temporary job. He worked for 11 years as a major league manager. Uh, the other guys, Beltran, a great player, obviously now with the Yankees. Uh, Perez, uh, an excellent announcer, was a bench coach with Houston. Bogar is a first base coach with the Nats. Uh, those are, we believe, the quartet that's down to in New York. Uh, Pittsburgh and San Francisco have many guys on the uh, that they're considering right now. That's one a, a little bit harder to handicap. I think uh, potentially in Pittsburgh could be uh, Shelton, uh, the bench coach with the uh, Twins. That's uh, a bit of a guess, but uh, I think he's got a shot. We got Kotze with both teams uh, and uh, with a shot. Kapler's got a shot there in San Francisco as well, but. Uh, both of those organizations uh, have seven or eight candidates at this moment that were doing this. So uh, a little bit harder to can't handicap. Um, Espada is a, a real candidate with the Cubs. Everybody thought David Ross is the favorite going in. It appears to be down to those two, David Ross and 
Joe Espada, who is the bench coach with Houston and is a very, very popular candidate. Uh, seems to be in the running in several places and should be able to get a job out of this somewhere, one or the other places. But Ross and Espada with the Cubs. Kansas City, we think it'll be Mike Matheny, but they're going to go in-house. Uh, Grafal, Pedro Grafal, Dale Swain, Vance Wilson, also candidates there. So uh, there's still seven to go. It's uh, quite a, a great manager season, if you like that sort of thing. What about free agency and opt-out guys? J.D. Martinez in Boston. Uh, Jake Arrieta, I doubt, would opt-out in Philly, right? But Strasburg in D.C., what about those guys? Yes, uh, uh, Arrieta will not opt-out. Uh, he has a $20 million and one year to go. Uh, going in, there was a good chance that he was going to be able to opt-out and go for another multi-year, but he had elbow surgery, uh, tried to pitch through it, uh, should be back for next year with the Phillies, so he will not opt-out. Uh, and J.D. Martinez is a, a close call. We're not sure at this point what he's going to do. He's got $60 million basically to go and three years, but uh, they can give him the qualifying offer, and that could be tough for uh, a player who's looked at as a DH by some. I'm sure that he hasn't ruled out going to play the outfield or going for the, for the National League if he does opt out. I think that one's a close call. Not sure. Steven Strasburg, we can say he will opt out, barring a miracle of an extension with the Nats uh, within that short period after the World Series. And they're right now worried about the World Series, and that short period is pretty short. So I, I don't see that happening. It'd be a, take a miracle, but he will opt out or use that opt out. Uh, there's no question about that. He's got four years and $100 million to go. A lot of money, but boy, did he have a good year. Answer the question about durability, leading the league in innings. Uh, he was second in strikeouts. He led the league in wins, if you're into that sort of thing. And, and I still like that. He's going to opt out, barring a miracle extension from the Nats. They'd like to keep him, and I think they have a decent chance to do so. He stayed there once before with the seven-year the seven deal. So I, I do think that he could end up back with Washington, and uh, he will have other suitors as well. The Dodgers may finally go for a big-time free agent outside of their uh, organization, so he could be in play there as well as Garrett Cole could be too, who is a free agent already. Uh, and in San Diego, they do big stuff for small market, and they he is from San Diego, so I could see that as well. So uh, Strasburg's the interesting one. He will opt out. Arietta will not opt out. JD Martinez, I think he's still thinking about it. All right, fair enough. And John, let's do this because I mean, not that anybody really cares what we think, but but why not? If you had a World Series prediction, <laughs> as the World Series goes, and I know some people will be downloading this podcast already by by Game Three, so we, we might already be way wrong. But what do you think? Who's who's going to end up with a parade? Yeah, I, I'm used to being way wrong, so I'm going to go with a bit of an upset here and say that the Nats with their uh, their veteran leadership and their uh, great rotation depth. And right now they got the trio in the bullpen working and certainly Doolittle and Hudson are doing it and Rainey's doing it as well. So uh, I think they're going to get by. We, we they were 12 under at one point and I think 50 to one or something like that. It probably reasonably probably a thousand one at that point, but the odds makers have at 50, but I, I think they may eat this one out. I'm going to, I'm going to go Nats in uh, seven. Yeah, and you know what? Just to be contrarian, I'll go Astros in seven. I think it'll come down at some point, one of these games, to nuance. It'll come down to little things, and I just think the Astros do that better than anybody else. They don't strike out. Uh, they, they move runners. We, we saw a bunt single from a catcher the other day. Uh, something like that gives the Astros the edges. Is the way I'll lean since we went ahead and took, that, took the Nationals. But I think, <laughs> I think you can make an argument either way. It's going to be a heck of a World Series, and we'll continue to document it. 
We'll continue to keep you updated on all the, the movement with managers and free agents and all of that. That, of course, is John's specialty. Many thanks to our guests that came on today and joined us. Uh, obviously, it's great to have both Astros and Nationals representation, and we appreciate Brian McTaggart and uh, Pete Medhurst as well. Awesome to have Sandy Alderson on. This is Josh Lewin for John Heyman. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's called Big Time Baseball right here at Radio.com Sports. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.